Day zero is the moment before company formation. When a founder decides to take the plunge, follow their dream, and commit to pursuing their vision of change. On day zero, you'll hear founders tell their story. From the initial idea, through reactions by critics and skeptics, setbacks and successes, we'll cover it all. Behind every company is a founder with ambition, goals, dreams, and wisdom to be shared. Let's explore them together. Hello again, everyone. I'm Rick Lemoyne, and it is my extreme pleasure today to welcome Eric Langshore to the microphone at Day Zero. Eric is co-founder and partner, managing partner of Abundant Ventures based in Chicago, and he is my first best-selling New York Times author that I've ever interviewed or probably ever met. So, Eric, great to have you here. Welcome. Thank you, Rick. It's great to be with you. What we usually do is give you a couple of minutes to go over your background, where you went to school, where you're from, and then how you got to your current place in life. Uh, and I know this is an incredibly interesting story, so take it away. Well, you're kind to say so. I'm not so sure. Well, I'm Canadian, grew up in Montreal, and went to college in eastern Canada. And But I actually, I didn't go right after high school. I took a year off. Today, we call it a gap year. Back then, we called it not going to university. Right. And uh, along that way, I realized that getting, getting an education would be a path of lesser resistance. And it's turned out to be true. I, I got my first job out of college with an aerospace company, Pratt & Whitney. And not because I'd ever wanted to be in the airplane business, but because they were hiring. And I got very lucky because I had an amazing first boss who gave me a lot of responsibility and taught me to work hard and show initiative. And I've been doing that basically ever since. And I spent 13 years with their parent company, United Technologies. My last couple of jobs with them, I ran their fuel cell division and Hamilton Standard propeller business. I went to join a, another Canadian company, Bombardier Aerospace, after that. And that was a wonderful experience for two years. And then in 2000, after having done, by the way, along the way, we moved to the U.S., moved to New York, and I uh, went to, to B school and then started my first company in 2000 in the healthcare business, but really born out of a personal experience and have been a healthcare entrepreneur ever since and started more than a dozen companies and sold a bunch and have been really loving working within this very important industry. I think about our only kind of connection right so far would be that about a quarter of my med school class also went to UNB. So it's, it's a small world. That is a small yep. world. That's a small school. Oh. Yeah, right. Yep. So now tell us a little bit about Abundant Ventures and how that got started and what your kind of core piece of business there and how it's going. Well, we are, I'd say that the first thing to know about us is we're not organized as a traditional venture fund, which is to say we invest off our balance sheet. We're about 10 years old and we play at the intersection of all things healthcare and digital. We are very comfortable being the first money in 
because we think of ourselves as operators as opposed to just pure investors. So in the 10 years we've started 16 companies, we've sold 13, and we was all clicked along very well in terms of our business returns because we're really focused on the, the, really the question of abundance. So we wake up every day and think about how are we gonna contribute to creating the world in which we wanna live. We're re anchored in this, what we think is a noble idea of being able to do good and do well. And that the way to a, um, a bigger slice of the pie is to grow the entire pie. And so we share in a disproportionate amount with, with our entrepreneurs and our founders and our team and and. And it's really, it's, uh, we're headquartered in Chicago. And it's a really wonderful enterprise. Might some of our audience recognize any of the names of the companies that you've fostered along the way? Well, one of our first companies was Avia, which we started because we recognized early on that many health systems on the provider side were really working to working to improve their operations and execute what amounts to be very similar strategic plans. So the one of the core insights we had was, well, we can bring scale to this work for them and be a purpose-built extender to develop expertise on these, these digital transformations, on these strategies in these domains that they need help with. And so Avia has been doing that ever since, and it's a fantastic member-owned enterprise and having real impact. We're in a boardroom now every week and doing board education and awareness about what these strategies are and how they can have impact and what the key metrics want to be at the C-suite level. And then we're also deeply embedded in, in helping at the front line with really executing the strategies. Fantastic. It's a tough time to be in, to be a provider in healthcare today. What are your observations on where it's been, where it is now and where it's going? Well, I think I'd start by saying that it's really, it's really important work and it's difficult work. So I think today being, being a clinician is not easy with the, the forces acting, acting on them. As you, and being a modern day health system, organizing this delivery machinery may be one of the most complicated things there is to do. I mean, the, the degree and complexity of the forces acting on our, on our delivery system is just, it's enormous. So, you know, where it's been it's where it is today has evolved to a low margin from a low margin on average yeah. set of set of businesses yeah. to a on average below margin set of set of businesses yeah. and you know where it's going is the key question because something's got to be done differently and i think it this is where we see not abundant and really within avi as well we see great opportunity because the same plays that that worked yesterday aren't necessarily going to carry a suture tomorrow. So you still have confidence and hope in the future. The sky is not falling. Where does that optimism come from besides your great experience? I don't know, Rick, that I would say I'm terribly optimistic 
but I am I am anchored in a few what I would just call truths that relate to my participation in this. And it, it starts with really my perspective as a healthcare consumer. My family consumes a lot of healthcare. I have a son who's had three open heart surgeries and will need a transplant down the road. I have a daughter who has a rare genetic condition that has a whole series of sort of satellite challenges that she needs to manage. So we, as a family, spend a lot of money with the healthcare system every year. And our experience of it is, I'd say, is generally challenging. And it's a very, very important good in our in our lives that we don't we don't consume any good nearly to to the level yeah. of this financially let alone emotionally so that that informs a perspective that it's really important work it's really important and it's also consuming about 20 percent of our gdp so it's not just important for the individual because we're talking about people's health and lives being not just saved but enriched but now from from a national economic perspective we've got to do better and because we can't continue, or maybe we can, right? But consuming more and more of our precious resources as a nation, as an economy spent on this, on this good. So within all of that, we see, we see opportunity because it is important. It's not going away and it's pretty messed up. And so, and we, we've got to not just help consumers of healthcare, but we've got to help the, the people that wake up every day to deliver care and help people. So we're dedicated to that. And I'm optimistic that there are there's advantage in there for everyone if we do this right. Yeah. I've noticed over the years, I've been around a little bit longer than you, actually a whole lot longer. When people have a personal component to their North Star, their, their thinking seems to me always to be clearer, more concise, and more on target. And I really appreciate you going into your own roles with healthcare. We've all had them. And they inform us in such a way that if we are clever, as you have been, not only can we fix that, but we can fix it for other people as well. And in doing that, there's opportunity. And yeah. that's what the world is all about. I think. I'm glad you said that, Rick, because you know, I couldn't agree more. And we have really institutionalized that philosophy, that idea in our work. So if you think about the, the ladder of motivators was well, certainly, certainly we need to make enough money to put food on the table with roof over our heads. And then above that is extrinsic motivators that it's nice to get an attaboy and, or a, and or a big bonus kind of thing. But above that is this idea of meaning and purpose. And when we can get on purpose and bring alignment to that with our life energy, it's amazing what people can accomplish. So that's what I'd like to explore a little bit with you before, or as we go ahead. I'm really interested in mind and how you came to write your book and how successful it was. My copy is on the way after I read a couple of pages last night on a Kindle. It's really incredible. Start Here is the name. Just tell us a little bit about that part of your adventure. Well, the story really begins in my early 40s. And I mean, it's completely cliche, right? I'm a, I really am a walking, talking cliche. There's a little bit of a midlife meets other in here. At the time, I was 
serving on company boards, public and private boards, and, and, and not sleeping well is what I was doing. I'd wake up every day at 2.30, 3 a.m., and my brain would turn on, and there'd be no going back to sleep. I had a rocking ambient habit. And I realized one day that there's probably something that I can do about this. So I started, I thought, well, let me turn to people who have a little bit of knowledge about a life well-lived. And so I turned to the, the philosophers of the great thinkers of the ages and started devouring philosophy and including, by the way, religious philosophy, which one does something, you know, enough. It's much like investing or company building. One becomes adept at pattern recognition. So I started to see these patterns emerge in all of this philosophical thought. And then because I'm wired to to think about the most efficient, I was taking the most efficient path and really science-driven path from A to B. I wanted to see what could be learned about the science behind these ideas. So I went to the neuroscience community and it was at the time was just an explosion of knowledge and research being done around, around these big philosophical ideas and was able to essentially develop, distill these ideas into a set of nine different practices that, that I was able to clinically validate, working really with the world's best scientists and translated that into Start Here, Master the Lifelong Habit of Well-Being. Simon & Schuster bought the book and published it, and it's just it continues to, to be very well-received. And it's fun for me because I've made my own life to the sandbox in the laboratory of engaging in, in those practices that have had a meaningful impact on my own happiness and my own well-being and energy level and that. So just one other thing I would say about that, what I came to learn, come to learn, by the way, was that that middle of the night process and the stomachache that I would wake up with and live with, I came to to label it as anxiety. And I never thought of it at that, thought of it that way, but that's exactly what it was. And so I, I feel like it's been a wonderful journey for me as I've, I've been able to tame that. Yep. Meditation was part of your journey? Meditation is a big part of it. And what we know now about the science of meditation is it's, it's pretty amazing, right? And less than 10 minutes is a clinically effective dose. And there's, there's goodness in it for all of us. I have been so impressed by the number of people who meditate who are enormously successful. I mean, it is a marker clearly for something. I don't know if it's a cause or an effect yet, but mm-hmm. it is. there's certainly an association there. And in my own attempts at meditation, I'm not there, I'm not there yet, but I can see even at 75 that it is a valuable piece to have in the tool drawer to be able to pull out and use. Probably better like exercise if you do it regularly, but I'm still trying to get there. Well, that's great to hear, and we could we can spend a whole lot more time on this topic because there's a, there's so many misconceptions around meditating and what it is, and you're supposed to empty your mind. And I hear people say all the time that they suck at meditating, and that there's a that's it's a whole other topic. By the way, we're this is this is an example of how we vote with our feet. We're so passionate about this topic of well-being that we in our portfolio. We've got the beautiful company, Mindful Communications, which many of your listeners will know as Mindful Magazine and Mindful.org. 
And now we are partnering with the Foundation for a Mindful Society and launching something called the uh, the Relief Project to bring this knowledge and this content to employers everywhere. And so people can have access to just really the best strategies to improve their lives. Eric, before we close, tell me a couple of things. What you look for when you're evaluating a company or an idea for the first time, and what you tell first-timers, maybe not necessarily first-timers, but very early people to the game. Yeah. Well, I think we've touched on some of the subjects, Rick. Start with something that you've got passion for that feels like it's on purpose for you, because that's that just that makes the work not feel like work necessarily. And as we all know, being an entrepreneur is hard work and it and there's a lot of hard days. And we talk about the roller coaster ride, but what can mute the, the extreme lows, which are always inevitable, is this notion of this higher calling that the work the work matters. And then that and work big problems. Work a problem that really matters. Ironically, my first company was not a giant problem. Now it all turned out really well for me. And we, if I were to do it over again, I'm not sure I would have done it that way. Uh, in healthcare in particular, I'd say surround yourself with experts. It's so complicated and it, it requires expert knowledge. And the, the adage of, oh, I, had, I experienced this, this problem as a healthcare consumer, I'm gonna go start a company. That's a tricky path, right? Get clear on your business model and which is code for follow the money especially in this industry, because the flow of money isn't obvious and not in a straight line. And so we need to understand the ins and outs of that. Yeah, maybe end with bring, try to bring joy into every interaction. It'll, people want to do business with people who they like. So bring a positive spirit to it and it'll not just make your own brain healthier. It'll lift up the folks around us. Wow. Eric, thank you. I could go on for a long time with this, but just so on target with the way I think people should act, people should be towards one another. It is such a pleasure to be able to do this interview with you. I know how busy you are. I know this is a a favor. I appreciate it so much. And I wish you every, every success with your various ventures and appreciate what we've had today very much. Thank you. No, thank you, Rick. It's been a great pleasure. This is Day Zero, a podcast by Think Media. Subscribe to Day Zero on your favorite podcasting app or platform.